From the campus of Yale University, this is To Live and Dialogue in L.A. I'm Aaron Tracy. So, the great majority of actors are lucky to get cast in a pilot. goes without saying. If that pilot gets picked up to series, that's like hitting the lottery. If that series gets past the first year and renewed, you've hit the career jackpot. My guest today has done all this three times. Ben's very first show, The O.C., which he starred in, became a phenomenon. As soon as it ended... He got the lead role on another series, Southland, one of the most critically acclaimed on broadcast TV during its period. It wasn't a rating smash, but it was so beloved, it got picked up by another network when NBC let it go, which almost never happens. As soon as that show ended, he won the lead on yet another series, Gotham, which lasted five more seasons. It's a crazy, remarkable run. You'd think Ben might be kind of a jerk with all that success, but he is truly one of the nicest, most unassuming guys I've met in this business. We live five minutes from each other in Brooklyn, and we've become buddies, working on a new project together, which I'm really excited about. Hanging out with Ben is a surreal experience. Every time we've gone out together, a stranger has stopped him on the street so excited. There's something about how often Ben has been in people's living rooms for such a long, sustained period of time that the audience feels like it has a really intimate relationship with him, a relationship unlike with other actors. People feel connected to him, which you can tell just tickles Ben. I think it'd be super annoying to be recognized every time you just try to take the subway, but he rolls with it. He's always happy to take a selfie or say hello. Unlike some other actors, Ben's also incredibly respectful of writers. He's a giant theater fan, especially of Tennessee Williams. Ben's actually the nephew of a Pulitzer Prize-winning playwright, which may account for some of that. And Ben just made his Broadway debut in the new play, Grand Horizons, directed by Lee Silverman, co-starring Gene Alexander and James Cromwell. I love the fact that instead of resting on his laurels, Ben's pushing himself to do theater, and now to direct and write, which he's done in his most recent series and plans to do more of in the future. Ben was incredibly gracious to come up to New Haven and hang out in my class for a while. We even got him to cold read the Billy Bob Thornton role in a table read we were doing of Fargo's pilot script. He was obviously awesome. Elevated the whole thing. You could see on my students' faces how excited they were to watch an actor transform into a character, even just sitting around our little table. I'm about to talk to Ben in front of a packed audience here. We'll discuss his career, how he broke in, how he works with the writers on his shows, what kind of stories he's attracted to, and we'll get him to tell us some fun Hollywood stories he's compiled over his three successful series. So, here we go. Live from campus, Ben McKenzie. I don't need your pity pause. Um, I apologize we're sitting so far apart. This is really I don't weird. even think it's pretty weird. I don't even think we're gonna use this because I don't, I don't know how to work the technology. Um, but we'll try to make this seem less awkward. Just project, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so I think everybody here probably knows who Ben is, so I don't need to give much of an introduction. Um, I'm gonna ask a couple questions. You all should feel free to think of your questions and then ask. I'll open it up. 
Uh, we're also recording this for potential use on the podcast. If you haven't downloaded the podcast yet, it's called To Live and Dialogue in LA. Ron Howard started us off last week. Um, and we've got a few more good ones. This week is James Patterson, best-selling author in the world. Um, wow. And then in a few weeks will be Ben if we, uh, if he wants uh, to have his voice on it. Uh, sure, <laughs> sounds great. <laughs> um, all right, so I'm gonna jump in. Um, I wrote down a few questions here. You have been the lead in yes. three successful television series, one right after the other. So my question is, I don't know, for people who aren't in the business, um, that's insane. No one has a track record like that to have a show go and then for it to go multiple years and then to jump on another show that also goes for multiple years. So are there, is there a whole graveyard of failed pilots, <laughs> failures in there that we don't know about? And if not, do you just think everybody moves <laughs> to LA and they just give out series and you just, that LA is really easy? No, I've been, I've been very, very fortunate. I, um, I was a young, broke actor in LA. Um, coming from New York, I actually started in New York after I graduated from the University of Virginia. And um, I auditioned for a pilot and I got it and it became the, the OC. I remember reading The O.C. and going, well, what does that mean? Because I wasn't from California. And then I saw The Orange County. I was like, what? These people, this grammar is just terrible. What is this? Of course, it, of course it took the world by fire, um, briefly. But I'm uh, sorry, was that the first pilot you auditioned for? Not the first one I auditioned for, no. No, no, we don't, we're only going to keep stats of the ones I've actually gotten. <laughs> yeah. Okay, but you had gotten off the bus to LA how, one year before yeah. you went for the OC audition. Yeah, people don't take the bus to LA anymore, they fly. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, one year and six days after I landed in Los Angeles, I, uh, I booked the part, uh, very, uh, you know, happenstantially, and, uh, and, it, and, it, and it lasted for four, then I... The OC only went four years. It feels bigger. It feels like it went longer. Boy, it felt longer. <laughs> no, it went, uh, it, yes, it, 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 um, Maybe because the first it year burned bright and yeah. then, and then just burned. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I know, so sad. <laughs> I feel like, how does anyone in this room even know what the OC? Do you guys know the OC? OC? Yeah. Yes. But that's yeah. crazy. You're all like 20. <laughs> how is that possible? They're also watching Friends. Oh, is it like, are you watching it on like streaming stuff? Is that how it Okay, okay. Wow, that's crazy. Who knew it would have such emotional, cultural resonance? Um, yeah, so that ended, and then a year, uh, basically a year after, I was shooting the pilot for Southland. So you did have another year of sad unemployment. Yes. Oh, that's good. Yes, my okay. mom, in the middle of that, uh, reminded me that I could still become a lawyer. <laughs> after the OC? After the OC. Wow. I said, Mom, that ship has sailed. Pretty, pretty much pot committed at this point. Um, and were then you getting South tons of offers? I mean, you were the lead on a big. No, I remember. Project. I remember being offered one film that was literally, it was, it was literally the OC on. I was I was literally a kid from the wrong side of the tracks who was punching people a lot, mm. and Brooklyn. I thought I should probably not do this. The um, Queens. You know, what's that? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, no, I I have had one of those odd careers where the things have come along at the right. I've had to fight for them. I had to. I was telling your class earlier. I um, auditioned for Southland. Um, because it was a great script and a great part, and I was, I was, I was at that point very fearful that I was going to be, um, as you mentioned before, just one of the, you know, 
many teen actors who is sort of teen uh, idols. Teen idols. Don't demote yourself. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I think I've I've, I've graced a cover of Tiger Beat once or <laughs> twice before. Tiger Beat was still around. Maybe not. <laughs> I was nominated for Teen Choice Awards. That's what I know. Nominated. Yeah, I nominated. Was gonna say. <laughs> Batting Who's average on. Uh, probably Chad Michael Murray. I would imagine. <laughs> He's a big deal. When um, you see Chad, do you? Is there any? Bad yeah. Thing? No. <laughs> um, uh, I, uh, I said Southland. So Southland, and that ran for that had an odd trajectory where it ran on NBC, and then it was canceled, and then TNT picked it up, and we we did um, shorter seasons, but we did five of them in total. And then um, as that show was ending, um, um, the so all of the shows that I've done have been with Warner Brothers uh, Studios. Um, the head of the studio asked me to meet Bruno Heller, who had done The Mentalist and Rome at that point and um, had a pilot. I ended up doing that pilot, but that is the one pilot that did not go. Oh, uh, all right, good, there was one. It was called, it was called The Advocates. It was about victims' rights advocates. And it was me and Mandy Moore. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. And was we sorry, you made the pilot but didn't go seriously? We made the pilot, yeah. We made the pilot. That was my, uh, my failure. <laughs> uh, I can't attribute that to, to anyone but me. Um, yeah, because Mandy Moore, she's now on a hit show. I mean, clearly the problem was yeah. me. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, but, but that put Bruno and I, you know, put me on his radar. And so a year later, um, he, he sent me the script for Gotham and he said, you know, I want you to play this part and take a look. And Gotham went for how long? Five years. Just ended. Correct. This year. Um, so, so it's been the whole, it's, it, I'm weirdly one, I feel like I'm from the, from the 50s, one of these studio players who's, you know, right. like, just been doing it for 15 years. Not by design, not by chance, but it, each one, each job, you know, fits you, you know, where you are in your life. And, um, um, and I'm grateful for, for each of them for different reasons. Right. Did your mom ask you to go to law school after Southland or after I think Gotham? I think after, well, no, yeah, I think after that she finally... She's gave it up. it up, yeah. Is your family at all in showbiz? Is they, are you an outlier? Uh, well, I did not grow up, grow up in any of that stuff. I grew up in Austin, Texas. My, um, my uncle, my dad's brother, is a screenwriter and a playwright um, named Robert Schenken. That's my real last name. Pulitzer winning, I think. Pulitzer right? winning. Yeah. Tony winning. Yeah. Emmy winning, I believe. Is that right? Yeah. So now that I'm starting to write, there's no pressure whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. um, was he an influence on you as a kid? He was, because I, I so I grew up in, in Austin, and I had no real, you know, nobody I knew was doing anything like the entertainment business. Because um, now my, it's all over Austin. I mean, lots of movies. It is Austin, now. Yeah, yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah, um, it certainly wasn't at the time. I mean, this is pre, this is probably even pre Richard Linklater. Oh, I guess Richard Linklater sort of started. Um, I remember seeing. Um, Dazing uh, and Fuse, but also, um, um, oh, Slacker. Yeah, but now I'm switching references. Robert Rodriguez's first film, um, um, who now has a big deal there. Right. Anyway, Mariachi. Nice. Um, but at the time, nothing was going on there. Anyway, so uh, uh, I saw my uncle's play, which was a play of his called The Kentucky Cycle, which was this six-hour play. Um, yeah, I know. Uh, that um, you would you would watch three hours, and then you take a dinner break, and you come back. And I was twelve, I want to say maybe thirteen. And um, my mom bought my. I have two younger brothers. My mom bought each of us matching blazers. 
and we all wore our little blazers to the <laughs> to the show because we were from Texas and we were going to see a big Broadway show. Uncle Bob's show. Yeah, and um, and it was incredible. I remember being fascinated by it wow. and really being interested. And I, it didn't. It wasn't like it. it a, a, a switch was flipped right then. I was still in Texas. I still played high school football. I didn't have the, the sort of the courage to start acting yet. Um, but I found my way in college to the drama department because I was, I was just kind of, I was bored with my studies. I was, I wasn't in a frat. I didn't know how to meet people. Um, and, um, and the first part I ever got post being maybe, you know, a kid, a true kid, 10 years old was, was Friar Lawrence in the Romeo and Juliet. Pivotal role. I was not Romeo, I was Friar Lawrence. Um, but it was really fun. I, that production was great because a friend of mine, Stephen Shepard, had started this. He, UVA was a very racially polarized um, community and still has a lot of issues with it. And he decided, they decided to do a production of Romeo and Juliet where the Montagues were white and the Capulets were black. Hmm. And, um, and it became a huge thing on campus um, to the point where I think the national media came down and we performed in this big concert hall that they usually don't do plays in. Um, and so it was really um, eye-opening. It was the first play I'd ever done, and people were coming, and they were excited, to, and they were talking about it, and they were, you know, they were interested in it, and um, and we were, I was meeting all these people that I that I don't, you know, wasn't normally socializing with. It was like a really, um, you know, all these crazy actors. I was, um, it was fun. It was really fun. Yeah, and I, I was hooked. Um, and so you recently did a play by your uncle that I think was sort of a. Interpretation of the Mueller report is that right? Right, we did a reading of did of, reading. of uh, the Mueller report. Um, he he got it down to about a, oh god, how long did he? Maybe an hour or so. Um, he sort of um, um, took the four hundred and forty-eight page report and, and distilled it down to its essential elements. Uh -huh. And we tell everybody who you played. I was uh, I was uh, Donald Trump Jr. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, yeah, so I got to say, I got to say, I love it, especially later in the summer. Right. Uh, it, nice. Yeah. Or whatever that. What is the line that's only? Um, yeah. If it's true. If it's, I love it. If it's, true, it if it's true, especially, especially uh, later in right. the summer. Yeah. James Comey is currently speaking across campus right now. Is he really? Yeah, he's here for two days. If people want to go see him tomorrow, also. Why are you people here? Go talk. <laughs> go see him. Yeah. Seriously, these people like TV better than I know. The real world. Well, he, he's coming to a TV screen near you. Oh, that's right. Right. Yes. Yeah, they're doing it. Um, so, how important is that to you? I mean, so obviously you did this, uh, which sounds like an important, you know, great thing. Uh, your uncle's play to mm. get out the Mueller report for, for people to to hear it. Um, is, you know, the politics of today, the turmoil that we're living through right now. Do you consider that when you think about what your next project is, or do you, or do you treat your work as an escapist or, or what? I don't. I've never had a, a particular philosophical bent on it. Um, you know, I think the era we're living in is such a, so unique that what na what I'm seeing now and what I'm gravitating towards is are things that have social context to them. Mm -hmm. um, um, it used to be, you know, it's funny. We were talking earlier before we came up here about you know how you communicate things in Hollywood yeah. to people because Hollywood is obviously it's it's show business and the business definitely uh, runs the show. Um, you need to. Often it was that you didn't want to include politics right. in your pitches and your takes on things. Can't alienate half the country. Exactly, right, exactly. Everyone's you know, chasing the almighty dollar. Um, 
But I feel like that's, in some senses, that's been flipped on its head a bit. Yeah. Um, because we live in such a unique time that without social context, what does it really mean? And, and why now? Why tell, you know, whatever the story is now? Um, and with the change in television, I'm sure we'll talk about that more, but it's allowed people to tell all kinds of different stories and tell them in different, um, different lengths, different formats. Right. Um, well, I mean, one show, Southland, which you did, um, felt very sort of ahead of its time. Uh, dealing with issues about you know police body cameras and people uh, videoing arrests with their iPhones, was that you know and with Sandra Bland and, and other similar cases that came after, was that uh, something that you all talked about um, on set behind the scenes, um, or was that just uh, sort of a lucky coincidence? That, that was all derived from the closeness that the that the production had with the LAPD itself. Um, Every year, the writers would sit down with members of the LAPD community that we became, you know, pretty close to. Would come in and they would just say, "Tell, tell me your your best story," huh. um, and they would take many of the stories um, and put them on screen. Um, some of them were so good that they actually you couldn't put them on screen because they, they they felt unbelievable. Wow. Um, There's a great story about a guy was chasing a suspect um, who robbed a house. Um, uh, through some backyards, and um, uh, anyway, he didn't catch the guy, but this poor distraught family um, who had everything taken from them, the guy said, I'm going to get you a dog. I'm going to buy you a pit bull to like protect your family. So he does, and some years later, he's chasing another suspect through another series of homes and falls into a backyard, and this dog attacks him, and he kills the dog. It's the same dog oh that he God. bought for the family. Um, it's, 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 it's really... Life is so much weirder than you yeah. think it is. Um, but that's, what, that's how we approach the show. So the, 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 um, the product being similar to what cops experience is just sort of the, that's, that's what, good research. that's what happened. But the right. process was how we got there, which was with training with the LAPD, working with them, getting their stories, good and bad. I mean, we're obviously we're portraying them in a, in some senses, a more favorable light, but we did want to be able to tell things that were, that right. were not as flattering. Right, makes sense. Um, so I have a bunch more questions, and I want to sort of go back and forth, though, make sure you guys get an opportunity to ask questions. Um, so anybody want to start it off? That's, a, that's a terrible Everybody's segue. Everybody's very shy. That's well, yeah. Trust me, they have a lot of questions. All right. Um, I'm going to ask you another one while, mm. they're, waiting, while they're thinking of theirs. Um, you recently wrote and directed for, mm -hmm. on one of your shows for the first time. Uh, I believe you wrote two episodes of Gotham and directed right. one? Directed three. Directed three, I'm yeah. sorry. So yeah. why was now the time, and was this always the plan, uh, or did you just get so bored after so many <laughs> successful shows? Yeah. You set out time to do something Yeah, else? yeah, yeah. Well, now was the time because they let me. They finally <laughs> let me. Okay. I finally felt like I had, you know, wasn't some young kid who was gonna mess it all up. Right. Um, and that is, my, I mean, that's, that's the hard thing, is to get the opportunity to get the call. Um, how, how did that work? You went up to the showrunner and you said, look, it's time, I want to do this? That, this, this one happened relatively organically because I think they, they, you know, 10 years plus in already by the time the show was in its first or second year, it was not as though I was going to like, you know, burn the whole thing down. It, right. was, it was, the, 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 the um, safety rails were on. There was nothing that I was going to go too terribly wrong and I felt like I'd probably earned it. Um, so no, that was a pretty easy one. I, I had asked in season one for season two and ended up seeing 
season three or whatever, but you just kind of kind of queue up a little huh. bit early. And there's always at least one conversation with an executive where you're just like very politely but very insistently asking. Yeah. Um, but and what made you want to do it? Boredom, yeah. for okay. sure. Yeah. But I also, I always, um, I was always curious about it. I remember being, um, I remember being on the OC and having only come from theater. I hadn't never really been in front of a camera before. I'd probably been on a set for a total of three or four days in my entire life at that point, and where I would, you know, play third naval shipman from the left on Jag or something. A very special episode of Jack. <laughs> is that a real credit? <laughs> it's something like that. I mean, I don't know what the credit is, but yeah, it was literally like shipment number right. number four seventy two, uh, <laughs> episode four seventy two of Jack. Um, and then I also, well, actually, my first job on on um, television, I believe, was playing the sexually molested uh, uh, acolyte to a priest and having to confess to Craig T. Nelson of the District. This is a reference that. No one of your generation gotcha. will get. I'm with you. Um, that he, that the, the priest had done bad things. Wow, to me. that's a yeah. that's a meaty part. Came in and cried. Did a lot of crying. Um, anyway, I hadn't been on a set much, and I remember, you know, just trying to focus on John Mer one right. and acting and understanding what the heck was going on with these cameras and all these lights and all these people. And there's so many people on a set. I mean, it's really hard to describe how right. many people are are constantly moving around and even in the middle of a shot. Um, and, and as soon as I was able to kind of get my bearings, I was immediately interested in what was going on on the other side. You know, what were they doing? What were those people doing? Right. <laughs> you know, I know there's a camera, I know there's some lights, but what about everything else? Right, and how come decisions were made that I didn't get to be a part of? I don't well, yeah, sure. The lines? Yes, exactly, yeah. exactly. There's a little bit of a control freak aspect to that as well. The writing took, took longer, um, as it should, and was more intimidating. Um, because I think it's hard to understand that process until you're in it, um, and and the the writer's room um, where where all this all the story is is uh, conjured out of thin air and then eventually translated into scripts um, is a place that that actors don't often get to get to hang out in. Right. You know, I don't know how much of it is like is a true wall or is it just that they don't want that they, they don't bother to go and to try to like, cause, you know, actors have a bunch of different stuff going on and some people don't want to write and don't want to. Sure. Um, but I was always curious about it. I always wanted to know how, how did we, how did we get to the point where I'm sitting on a set delivering these lines? You know, right. where, where did this come from? Right. Yeah. We were talking a little bit in my class about how after, you know, you've done three shows that have gone multiple years after a while, you know, the role you're playing way better than anybody else. And so to just be handed the arc for the character and not be able to have any sort of say in it must be just incredibly tricky. Right. Yeah. And uh, and over time you learn that like having the argument on set as you're shooting it is not the most productive right. way of, of dealing with the issue. Right. You should probably try to get it. So then you go back to, well, when the first script came out and then you go back before that and right. you go you keep going back further and further and further. And, and it's not, in a, I don't mean it in a, in a um, combative way, I mean it in a collaborative way. Um, how, did, how did we get there? What was the, what's the genesis of the story? What story are we trying to tell? Um, and that dialogue I, found, I find fascinating. And the most rewarding part of the yeah. whole thing is the collaboration, um, the ongoing collaboration in a television show, the you know, theoretically never-ending right. uh, collaboration. 100%. Um, um, okay, you guys ready for a question? Yeah, hey. 
Um, I'm sorry. curious, like in evaluating roles, how do you see the collaborators you're working with as opposed to like the role itself, and also between film and television? I usually make a decision on, you know, they, they want you to play this part or they're willing to consider. Um, that's been my strategy thus far. Um, um, I think who you're working with is, is very important. Um, in television, uh, if you're doing a long-running show, um, knowing who is really going to be running the show, who's the showrunner, is a very important um, piece of the puzzle. And I think there's you and I have talked um, about how much it's changed over the years, yeah. but nowadays people are selling shows who have no experience in television, which right. is very exciting and, 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 and a good thing. Um, it's, it's definitely good to shake up the sort of the old guard that's been... Yeah, new voices, more diverse voices. 100%. Someone, ultimately, if the show's going on, if you're not just doing like a, a short little thing that's a few hours long, someone's going to have to be running it over, you know, the... Um, Trying to think of the other sort of literary literary equivalent, but you're you're you know they're they're the newspaper editor and the, the star journalist and the company overseeing you know what paper is going to get. I mean they're they're sort of they're playing all of these different roles and they're incredibly important. And often a show will get sold because some hotshot has come in with some fancy idea, and you don't even really know who is actually going to be you know, right? because it's not about day one or day 10, it's about day 150, you know, who is actually going to be there with you. But, I, you know, I've had, been very lucky to work with three showrunners who all had a, had a, either a lot of experience or a great voice. Josh Schwartz created The O.C. and then went on to create tons of other shows in a right. similar, um, yeah, younger people shows. And then, and then John Wells was, was Southland and then Bruno Heller was was Gotham, and um, it's very important. You need to know who you're. Yeah, I've always been really curious. Um, Josh Schwartz created the OC. Famously, he was 26 years old. That's right. And they let him show run the show. They let him be. You know, the showrunner is the person who's in charge. A TV show has 250 to 300 people uh, working for it, and the head of the show, the showrunner, is like a CEO. So, what was it like with a 26 year old being the CEO of that show? I mean, nobody, none of us knew what we were doing. You right. know, I mean, to be completely honest with you, I mean, Josh. Josh is a really smart guy and really successful and talented, and and I don't think that I was only a few, but I, w I was 23, right? Right, because I was after yeah. out of college, yeah, something like that. Um, so we were all figuring it out on the fly. Um, and and so did you feel like a pal rather than a boss? Yeah, I think that that line got 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 fuzzy for all of us at times. Which I think it was probably a challenge. Um, I'm sure we would all do things differently uh, if we had to do them over again, but it all worked out. Um, yeah. You, there's no, there's no, there's no way to figure it out until you're, until you're in it. I, um, a friend of mine gave me a, a piece of art which hangs in my, um, my study, which is uh, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth, and that's like a, <laughs> that's a good, Mike Tyson quote. It's a Mike Tyson quote, yeah. yeah. And uh, I, I, I like that quote. Yeah. That, that's what it, that's what it's like to, to, to make stuff. That's great. It's like you got a plan, and then you're gonna have to figure a new plan out. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, who else? Yeah, right there. You've had some like killer co-stars, <laughs> specifically the OC, which I'm obsessed with, yeah. from more like consistent roles like Rachel Bilson and like Shailene Woodley, and then some smaller roles like Olivia Wilde and Chris Pratt. Like, mm. has it been cool to see like 
these kind of, I guess they were kind of kids when you knew them, yeah. come into their own stardom and do you follow them? Are you friends? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Are we friends? Do we hang the out? questions about your cursor. <laughs> we get together. Um, it's really cool. I mean, Shailene's is really wild because she was very, she was Misha Barton's younger sister on the show for, I don't know, like a I season or something, yeah. or two. Um, I remember talking to her, and going, wow, she's really smart. She's going to be fine. Um, Olivia and I bumped, bumped into each other because we were touring the same preschool for our kids wow. in New York. The OC grows up. I mean, wow. it was really wild, really wild. And it's, I'm really happy for her. She's become you know, an incredible director yeah. and a lot of success. So yeah, a show like that, it's really wild how many people came through there and then went on and did you know, amazing stuff. And then you ended up marrying a co-star. I, I did, I did. I married a co-star on, on Gotham. Uh-huh. Morena, right? I married. She was on the OC for like five seconds, but was yeah. she? I didn't realize she was. That. She was. Did you guess by? She was. She was. She actually did like a couple episodes. Did you remember her when I you did met not? Her wow. <laughs> she did. <laughs> you were the lead. Of course, she was. Exactly. Yeah. Come on. No, I was. You know. That was real hot shit back then. <laughs> apparently, wow. I showed it. Yeah. Um, but does I mean sometimes that carries over where um, you know a, a group can get so close, a group of co-stars that right. they continue being friends outside of work, and they can sometimes develop work together. Have you had that experience? I mean, or is, it um, is it really just like a job? Like with any of our coworkers, it's you see them during the day, and then. I mean, my my experience has been. E- if your friendship was founded on anything other than just happening, happening to be cast in right. parts opposite each other, then your friendship's probably going to survive. If it wasn't, right. <laughs> you met on a TV show and you worked together on a TV show. And, right. you know. So, I, the, you know, some, some people have, have, have um, I've had some friendships that have lasted a really long time um, off of those shows, and then a lot of them have fallen away. Yeah. It's not like they're antagonistic, they just don't, you know. Right. Do you have a whole group of people your age who you all used to go out in the same for the same parts for, who are like your type and you kinda, used to see each other in the way? Kind of, yeah. yeah. One of the things that, I, that someone told me recently that made a lot of sense was like, it's really just about surviving. Like just, just staying employable right. for like long enough and not sort of, you know, fading into the, to the distance and eventually it just becomes this like self-selection process where like eventually it's sort of, right. you just winnows down because people quit or give up or I always or, say that Hollywood is a war of attrition yeah if you have sort of the requisite talent it's just about staying that's right yeah. that's right persistence yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah I know I have groups of people that you know I remember from my LA days although now I'm living in New York and uh, it's a different yeah do you so I really like living in New York for I mean for a lot of reasons but one of the big ones is you're outside of all that sort of competitive yeah. jealousy sort of darkness of LA where all anybody is talking about, <laughs> not too biased, all anybody is talking right. about is what meaning did you get? I thought you were going to say competitive, but were they like Yale, the competitive darkness of Yale? Well, these no, people can. just uh, kidding. <laughs> they can relate. They don't have, no, it's no competition here. <laughs> but in New York, your friends work at magazines and newspapers and restaurants and have real jobs. So That's right. Is that part of why you moved to New York or is it? 100%. Crazy? I mean, I ended up moving because the show was, was going to shoot here. Well, actually, the, <laughs> they were debating New York, LA, and I was really in favor of New York, and I, and the studio wanted to make it in New this York. This is Gotham. This is Gotham because of the tax credit, and so between them and me, I think Bruno was like, all right, fine, we'll make, sure, make it in New York. Right. Um, uh, I love it because of that. I mean, I, I do, LA is a one-horse town, or at least the entertainment circles um, are just completely about entertainment, and you just, 
it feels like a like you're you know living in quicksand. Like yeah. you just can't run fast enough because there's always people who are running faster. And and why are you running so fast? By the way, what is what is the goal? What are, what are we? Right. Am I trying to be what? Make the most money? Be the most faint? What is the what is the end result here? Fill right? that gaping Fill hole, gaping in, hole in my yeah. soul. Exactly. Yeah. There's a great, we talked about this, there's a great Tennessee Williams essay when he was out in, right. in, in L.A. screenwriting after his success on Broadway. And he talks about the loneliness of, you know, sitting by a kidney-shaped pool at the, the Beverly Hills Hotel and just, 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 it crushes your soul a little yeah. bit. I love New York. I love New York. I love um, the anonymity and the, the um, this is not to discourage you from going to L.A. L.A. is a great place to go. And <laughs> you sound very convincing. You can make yeah. a great life there. Yeah. Um, you can, you can. There, I mean, there's so many people there. Okay. They, they can't all be jerks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think you, you, find a, you find a group of expats, of which there are a lot, yeah. and you hang out with them. Yeah, and, 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 and it's a very pleasant life. Um, yeah. I've uh, ultimately felt like creatively, and just, just in terms of my life and where I want to raise my kids and right. all that, I felt like in New York was a better fit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I, I mean, I go back to LA all the time, and it is, it's, it's, it's really different than when we first moved there. I mean, right. You know, the restaurants are amazing, and... Um, oh, yeah, the food was so sure. bad back 15, was it? <laughs> was it like, they hadn't discovered yeah, avocados really. yet or something? <laughs> yeah, but... Uh, it was... I feel like I'm talking about the, yeah, ancient history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's changed, it really But well, what's funny is now we live in, in New York, and in, in Brooklyn, and like, there are so many actors right. in New York now because of the... the the tax credit. The tax credit. Yeah. I mean, basically, when I was it's possible to make York, a living. There were yeah. 50 pilots being shot in New York, 50 shows being shot in New York at the same time, wow. which was the all-time high, which is which is nuts. And I remember when I started 15, 17 years ago, um, uh, three, maybe? There were three shows. There was Second right? City, there was The Law and Order, right. the first one, and maybe the second one. It's amazing. I mean, if there were if there were more than six, I'd be surprised. Totally. You know, yeah, yeah. Sopranos. Um, okay, more questions. Yeah? What gave you the amount of Courage and motivation to go on with your dreams. Ooh, big existential question. What gave you the courage to go on with your dreams? All of a sudden, I'm thinking about it now. I'm like, do I do I still have it? But he only had a year. He that's only true. had one year of unemployment exactly. before becoming the lead. Yeah, that's right. On a show. No, exactly. So yeah, my fortitude. How'd you get through not... that year, Ben? <laughs> Tough year for you. You know. You joke, Aaron, but um, I was <laughs> I really, I was, yeah, I, I, I mean, it's funny, people, a lot of folks say, uh, I've heard it said, that if, you know, I did it because I had to do it. It was the only thing I could have done. Right. If I didn't do it, you know, I just don't know what I would have done. Well, I thought that was <laughs> ridiculous. Right. Like, I could do a million, you know, I could, I mean, not a million things, I'd never be a nuclear physicist because my math skills are terrible, but like I could, I could. What was your major in college? I was in econ and poli sci, yeah. yeah. So, Which you is know, crazy. I could do other yeah. things. Um, You're using that a lot these days, I assume? Yeah. yeah. Well, I actually, I mean, my encouragement for people that are actually considering acting, and Yale's a good, a good example of this because I don't think there is an undergraduate degree in acting, right? Is there? Uh, I believe there is not, right? No theater, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there is. Oh, right, no. There goes that point. Anyway, my I, I, I like it when when people have a, a broader education. Yeah. You know, because you can always specialize afterwards. You can always go to a graduate school or whatever. But um, I think it I think it serves you well. I think it, yeah. it, it, it broadens your horizon. I think the 
many of the actors who I met when I was younger who had only ever wanted to always be an actor were first of all really annoying to hang out with. Right. <laughs> really annoying. And then they often faded away because right. they, they just, you know, they were obsessed with it in the way that a child is obsessed with right. putting on makeup and doing a song and dance. It's not a deep, you know, empathetic understanding of the human condition. It's like, look at me, look at me, look at me. And that's, that's not a good way to go through life, right. in my opinion. Um, no, the most successful people I know in Hollywood are ones who have a lot of outside interests because a lot of times that outside interest will lead to curiosity about different projects and working with different people. And that's how you become successful. Sure, sure. The fortitude, I mean, getting back to actually answering your question, was just, you know, uh, it was short, as Aaron mentioned, but, um, you know, I, I felt like I had to do it then because I was young. And if I didn't do it then, if I didn't go for it then, I would regret it later. I did not su expect to succeed. In fact, I expected to fail and I expected to become a lawyer or something. I remember saying that, you know, Give two, yourself two years or something. Yeah, something like that. You know, it was it was never defined exactly. Right. Um, but I also remember being on the phone with my parents when I was in LA my first year and not knowing a soul and being miserable. Miserable. Yeah. I and mean, it was never suicidal, but I was as depressed as I think I've ever what been. What neighborhood did you move to? Uh, when I was living there I was in Sherman Oaks. Wow. That's the, a the strange choice. The well, it was the floor of my friend's apartment, which oh, really? is where I was living. I was driving a 500 out of the car, and I was, Jeez. I was miserable. But, um, but then it changed. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Other questions? Um, yeah. Um, what is your approach to a new role, and how does that vary between different projects you've worked on? Questions about question. how you approach a new role. That's a great question. Um, it varies wildly depending on the project. Um, with Southland, uh, you know, because we were portraying real cops and we were working with the LAPD, it was a wonderful experience because a lot of your training was, was sort of embedded in the project itself. You know, we would um, go on ride-alongs. We would, we actually, by the end of it, we were actually allowed to participate in like the training that that the cops go go through and went to the um, LAPD training facility north of LA. I forget exactly where it is, and we did like we did we drove the car, we did pit maneuvers where you spin out cars and fired. Semiotic we automatic weapons Jeez. and did all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, so in some senses, you know, so some jobs it's kind of handed to you, right? Um, other times it's more. I mean, Gotham was an interesting one because because the character is iconic, and the setting's iconic, but the particular slice that you're slicing off of the mythology has never really been explored before in a live action setting. Right. So it's actually all new in a way, right? I mean, it's all, you know, I, I, I guess you probably couldn't do like a Jim Gordon who's like super long haired, like hippie Jim Gordon, or like there were certain things that were probably not gonna, um, um, not gonna be the right path did to go down. To? And did I want to? Is that the pitch? Well, the, the big conversation was mustache or no mustache. That was the conversation, I, I know, I know. And I just, Bruno, I was like, dude, you can't ask a guy I was in like the prime of his uh, like <laughs> masculinity to rock a mustache. Yeah. Tom Selleck, Magnum PI. That's true. Yeah, Tom Selleck. All right, yeah, it's true. Thing. Different, different, yeah. different world. Different world. Um, um, so with that, it was more like I, I found inspiration through uh, certain comics that. Uh, that uh, comics for like research at all, or just yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, I read. Yeah, I read. I read some um, Gotham Central. I read. Um, um, I mean, a lot of the Frank Miller stuff. I mean, the the darker, but also more. Um, the stuff that was really talking about the cops in a cops in a in a larger than life universe, right? Um, and that was what bonded Bruno and me. I mean, we we already liked each other from doing this pilot. Didn't it? Didn't right. go. That was all Mandy Moore's fault. Right. Um, but but we um, we really um, we wanted to tell a very grounded story set in a larger than life you know universe. So. What are the power dynamics inside the city? What are the, you know, the first season there was a lot of like the old mafioso clans that were battling over control. Um, we started off on a lot of those tangents and then very quickly realized that's not what the audience wanted. Right. <laughs> they wanted like their big scaries and they wanted their big villains. But and part of the idea characters. of the show is no superpowers, right? This Correct. is like a 70s cop show kind of a thing. And, and, that, and, and that was his big pitch and I won't do his accent, but he was basically like, you know, you don't have to wear tights. Was his right. was his big pitch, right. and and that is, um, that's the punchline. But like, it is tr- true, and it's something that I've always loved about Batman is that no one has superpowers. There's no, right. you know, it's not like, you know, people don't see through walls and fly through the air. Um, their their superpowers are in their sort of demented personalities and how they manifest in, right. in various you know various ways. Um, but so speaking of seventies. Uh, movies and cop movies, um, New York movies. Uh, I I just don't feel comfortable with the technology to show a clip. But oh, no. uh, I asked Ben, um, you know, what a scene might be from uh, a movie that he was a fan of that um, he might want to talk about from a craft perspective. And so um, he asked for a scene from Dog Day Afternoon. So uh, how many people here know Dog Day Afternoon? Is that right? Um, that's a shame. Uh, it's worth, everybody should go watch it. Um, but You should, you can rent it for probably like $3 on uh, If that on much, iTunes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure you can watch it for free with these guys. I'm sure they know how to do <laughs> that's that. True, that's yeah. true, that's true. I'm sorry, um, I forgot I was talking to. <laughs> but so um, I think maybe you know, when we do the podcast, um, we'll actually play the clip. And it's basically a scene where Al Pacino plays a bank robber, a real life bank robber, and he's sort of um, talking to the other bank robber about you know, where, what they should do. Basically, they've, they've taken a bank hostage with all the employees and um, they're trying to figure out what their demand should be from the cops. We get a helicopter here. It lands on a roof and takes us to a jet. And we fly the fuck out of the country. Sal, Sal, we can do it. Sal, Sal, look, we got him. We don't even know it, do you know? We got the hostages. You know, we've been looking at this the wrong way. We make the demands. They're going to give us anything we want. I'm flying to the tropics. Fuck the snow. Hey, where's the map? You ready to go to Algeria? Algeria? Yeah, sure. We're all going to sunny climbs. Sal, I can make it happen. I can make it happen. I made it happen so far, right? I can make it happen. Yeah. Give me my ready. Sarge. All of you, 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 go ahead, make phone calls. Call home or whatever. We're all going on a trip. Yeah, 
Sonny. Yeah. Uh, I want to talk to you. I'm coming out. Good, good. Okay, we'll be there. Let's go. Come on. It's coming up. Now, you got to understand something. If we leave the country, there's no coming back here. You know what I mean? There's no coming back. So that if there's anybody now that you want to talk to, you want to say goodbye to, do it now. Is there any special country you want to go to? Wyoming. No, Wyoming. That's not a country. That's all right. I, I'm going to take care of it. So I want to ask overall, like, Al Pacino, why that movie? Why that scene? Um, so, yeah. so the fundamental, and hopefully I won't get this wrong, but the fundamental premise of the movie, and it's based on a true story, is about a gay man in 1975 yeah, or so, that. New York, who robs a bank to pay for his partner's sex change operation. Um, and so you have Al Pacino and John Cazale um, in a bank uh, robbing it, but for the most sort of, you know, uh, maybe uh, uh, sort of a, a bizarre reason, but a very human reason. Right. Um, and they and don't know what they're doing. They're not. They, they have no guys. idea what they're doing. They're f fucking it up six ways from Sunday. Yeah. Um, the cops come. They surround them. They're locked down. There's clearly no way they're going to get out of this. Right. Um, and they start spending and they start trying to, you know, coming up with increasingly desperate plans to get out. Um, but it's it's an incredible. I really do encourage you to watch it. It's um, it's one. Of, it's probably my favorite performance of his, and it's hard Pacino. to choose. Pacino, and Cazale's amazing. I mean, yeah. He John Cazale. For those of you who don't know. They don't know. He, 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 because I, I, and in this I only know because I Googled it after I picked fact. the thing. He appeared in five or six pictures within the span of four years, all of which were nominated for Best Picture or maybe even one, one. All which, of which won. It's and then nominated one, yeah. But and, you're right, it must be nominated because Dog Day. Yeah. And then died of um, lung cancer. He's married to Meryl Streep. Married I mean, this Street. is one of the great like, lives. Yeah. It was Dog Day Afternoon, Godfather. He's Fredo in The Godfather, right? right? Godfather Part Two. Um, incredible yeah. character. I mean, just yeah. incredible performances. Um, and I love the movie because it's, it's very alive. I mean, I really encourage you to watch it. It's 1970s New York, so it's a New York that we don't recognize anymore. Much more dangerous, much more... Um, a much, much wilder world than yeah. we live in with our Starbucks and our... Yeah. Whatever. Manhattan, a billionaire, you know, right. playscape. And so what is it about Pacino or his performance? That it's so alive. It's so alive. It's so um, brave. Um, it's very human. He's, he's, yeah. he's, he's falling apart and right in front of you, but it's yeah. very funny. It is. Um, in this scene, right, he asks um, John Cazale what country he wants to go to, right? They can tell the plane that the police are going to send, right? right? What country to... They can go anywhere in the world. And John Cazale very sweetly says, Wyoming. 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, a, it's, a wonderful, it's a wonderful performance. And, and I don't remember exactly when I saw it, um, probably in college. Oh, when not until college? Probably, because I wasn't really focused on acting until I got started acting in, in college. And then I was like, oh, well, I should, you know, you start taking some classes on acting. And, you know, they show you Streetcar Named Desire or right. whatever, and um, oh, that's really good. Yeah. Um, and then you start like furiously trying to catch up with 50 years of right. you know cinematic history. Um, Have you ever met Pacino? 
Wait, didn't you? So I did, I did a movie. What's with him? With Al, that's really not good. Um, <laughs> but I had a couple scenes with him, and that was, that was why I did I mean, it was great. Right. It was super fun. And what's it, did you, were you asking him a million questions? Were you looking, no. just looking at his process? I felt, I did not feel brave enough to ask him a bunch of questions. Yeah. But he, he, we just kept running scenes or lines over and over and over again. Um, and, um, and it was really, uh, just one of those things I just felt like I had to do. Yeah. Just, I needed to work with him. Just needed to, to, yeah. to understand. What, I'm curious, like what other movies when you were growing up, maybe it sounds like this wasn't until college, but what other movies had the most impact on you where you sort of said maybe in college, I, w- I want to do that. I want to be as wild as Pacino is. Or I don't know. I was attracted to all kinds of stuff. Yeah. I mean, you know, um, everyone says Brando and Streetcar, but I mean, that definitely was a performance you just could not take your eyes off. Um, but also, but everything from from that to um, Olivier and Lawrence of Arabia, you know, this like everything from the most constrained, sort of controlled. Um, you know, for lack of a better word, British performance, you know, very, very, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, everything from, from that, that sense of um, power and control uh-huh. to the wildest, you know, right. Attica, Attica, you know. Yeah. And so Pacino and Brando, uh, they certainly, you know, famously were method actors. They went to the actor's studio or mm-hmm. studied with Stella Adler. Um, did you, you know, you, you were very young when you got your first role, but right. have you been drawn to go back, to, to take acting classes, to, to learn method, to, to do anything like that? I, I, I still have a coach that I work with sometimes. Okay. Um, it really just depends on the project. Um, I, I, I think for the right role, I think I would go back to a bunch of stuff that I started off learning a long time ago. Um, the television world is a little bit hard to right. maintain that sort of. You're so busy working. Well, and in it's just it's just it's just constant, so it's hard to. So you you, you find shortcuts and right. you find things that work for you. Right, right. But. Um, other questions? Yeah, in the back there. Yes, it sounds like when you're talking about these movies that were influential, you were reacting specifically to a performance that was meaningful. But is that somehow how you got a sense that maybe acting would be something you wanted to follow? Like when you saw a movie that really spoke to you, did you react to acting alone? Was there something in the craft of the filmmaking that was meaningful? Um, like that right. stood out to you in those early movies? Well, I think the filmmaking probably came later as I understood more of what was happening. Um, it was probably subconscious because the the filmmaking and, and um, Dog Day Afternoon is a good example, the Sidney Lumet film, mm-hmm. wonderfully shot. Yeah. Uh, just but not in a in a um, in a way that's that feels obtrusive. It feels intrusive. Like it doesn't. It's not. It's not trying to make a bunch of statements. It's just kind of seemingly showing you. Um, right. It's not showy or flashy. Not really. But it has all these wonderful, clearly great with working with actors. And there's all these great crowd scenes of the crowds that come to watch, the um, to watch the spectacle that's unfolding inside the bank and all of the people that are inside the bank who are being held hostage. And of course, Pacino and Gazelle and all them. But you know, you really understand like the the the, the texture of what it was like to be, you know, alive in New yeah. York City in 1975 or whatever it was. Um, um, and so I was drawn to like the the humanity of it. And I think I was, you know, I was like a very, a very normal suburban Austin, Texas, grow, like childhood. It was a very like it wasn't. 
was anything but New York City and, and all of that. Right. And so it, when, when things, when I saw on screen people doing things that I had no, I didn't even know worlds existed that were right. like, like the worlds that were portrayed, I, I, I fell in love. Yeah. And I just wanted to do it. I wanted to figure out how to do it. Totally. Um, and I couldn't. I <laughs> had to, to, to work on it. Yeah. Other questions? Yeah. Um, so now that Gotham is over, uh, what's next? What are you <laughs> interested in? I mean, presumably you want to get, you know, you want to continue acting, but are you interested in more directing, more writing? Um, do you want to focus on your family? Like, what, what, are, you, what are you thinking of pursuing next? Um, my family would be fine. I don't need to worry <laughs> about them at all. Um, yeah, now, now it's, um, it's, a, it's an interesting time because it's a big transition. I'm not going straight into another show. Don't really want to go straight into a, certainly not a big, like a, those old network shows, big episode numbers and all that. Um, and I'm focusing on developing um, my own material, which some of which I might write, but more as a producer, I mm -hmm. think. I mean, Aaron and I met but somewhat on a project. Yeah. Um, okay, any, any other questions? Yeah, right here. That's a great question. Yeah, it's kind of still watch too. it's kind of both, right? It's kind of like I think one of the, like I can I can there's stuff that I know how they did it, and that's kind of like oh well that wasn't as right. exciting. I wish I didn't know how they did that. Um, but often when you're watching something that's great, you're just kind of you're even more amazed because you're like how did they? I was watching. Chernobyl, yeah. and I was like, how in the world did they get that shot on the car with like 300 extras, those are all real people, right. running, you know, in, in a, in a organized disorganization, right, or they were, right. they, you know, as though there were actually a nuclear event that was happening. Um, and maybe the answer is, you know, it's Ukraine, and so everyone got like two dollars to they do it. it yeah, yeah, but oh, it was, wow. yeah, they did, yeah. Do you know this? Yeah. No? Yeah, the, the. The president has become a big advocate for shooting over there, so there's oh. a big tax credit thing. Anyway, he's got um, a few other things to deal with right now. Yeah. But, <laughs> but I, um, but it's even more magical if you if you don't know how they're doing it, or you or you 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 you're in admiration of how they right. do it. The weird thing about knowing more about it is that I actually find myself wanting to watch worse stuff, bad stuff, <laughs> so I can go, why didn't this work? It's interesting. You know, I, I find myself going down a Netflix rabbit hole of like, right. oh, this is a really bad show. Why is it so bad? Like, what is the specific? <laughs> yeah. Or, it's usually many things, but why, why does it not work on a script level? Why does it not work directorially? What is this actor doing? Yeah. Like, really going through it. And I, I don't know. I find that interesting. I'm a big believer in that, uh, that you, you can learn more from a bad script than you can from a great script. Because a great mm -hmm. script is just too intimidating, I mean, for writers out there. Mm -hmm. um, but that's why so many of your favorite screenwriters, if you go back and look at their biography, they started off as studio readers. Right. Uh, just reading hundreds, hundreds of bad, bad, bad scripts <laughs> and thinking about just what you're saying, why they were bad. Mm -hmm. That's what makes you a good writer. Yeah. Um, and then with TV, the only thing I have trouble with is um, food. When people are eating uh. or not eating on a show, I'm just, I'm aware that's been sitting out for hours yeah. and uh, it's disgusting. Well, and they've got to, they've got to get rid of the fake coffee part <laughs> thing. It's, <laughs> it's co coffee pour? Things 
coffee cups that are not filled with anything right. is just 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 never happen. You, and suitcases that are not actually filled <laughs> with things that are suitcases are heavy. That's easy. Like people have these are these are things that drive you nuts. Right. In movies. Do you have you had to eat a lot on camera? I'm, I, I remember I'm early on. I'm fascinated I, by this. Early on, yeah. I chose to eat. That's what a like lot of Brad actors Pitt. do, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. Brad, Brad Pitt, Pitt right. eats in every scene. He eats He's all Brad. the time. He always needs a prop. Right. Um, he's a great actor. Um, and, and they say like you can, it, it makes you attached to the character more because you feel their primal urges of right. hunger. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it's fun to do it, but it, as you but get older, really? you go, oh God. But it's like it wasn't made by a chef. It was made, you know, they brought it out by, you know, some prop person. Has, it's been sitting on a prop table. Oh, yeah. Well, that stuff. I mean, you got to get over all that. I yeah. Mean, is that yeah, right? I, actor, I don't think I can get over that. You an know, actor's like, a little bit like a sanitation worker. Like, you're <laughs> in, the, you're in the, 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 the shit a lot. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, if we can give Ben a big round of applause. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Thanks for having me. All right, that was really fun. Um, thank you so much to our producer here at the Yale Broadcast Center, Ryan McAvoy. If you dug the show, please do us a favor and give us a rating and subscribe. You can hit me with questions or complaints on Twitter at Aaron D. Tracy. Or email me at aaron.tracy at yale.edu. See you soon.